What is the single greatest event that has ever happened in your entire life? Well, if you're a Christian without stammer or stutter, you would give one answer. The day I became a Christian. Well, my second question is very predictable if you would say that. What's the greatest thing that you could share with someone else? Well, how they could find forgiveness, how they could come to know Christ. Well, why is it that so many Christians are silent? Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are currently in a series that focuses on evangelizing. Have you ever asked yourself how you can reach your fullest potential in being consistent in sharing the gospel with others? Well, over the next three days, we will see that sharing Christ consistently is preceded by walking in obedience dependent upon selfless availability, and is expressed through a personal understanding of biblical truth. Today's sermon is entitled, Sharing Christ Consistently. Please join us in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 25, as we begin. Take God's word, would you, this morning, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 8, Acts 8. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you a very important question. What is the single greatest event that has ever happened in your entire life? Well, if you're a Christian without stammer or stutter, you would give one answer. The day I became a Christian. Well, my second question is very predictable if you would say that. What's the greatest thing that you could share with someone else? Well, how they could find forgiveness, how they could come to know Christ. Well, why is it that so many Christians are silent? They don't share their faith. I mean, I'll meet Christians, I'll, I'll do anything, Pastor, you know, I'll pass out bulletins, I'll lick envelopes, I'll serve in the nursery, I'll, I'll even clean the restrooms, but don't ask me to witness. And there are several reasons I think Christians feel this way. One is they're afraid. Sometimes it's unpredictable what your encounter will be. Maybe someone will put you down. Well, we studied that last week. Jesus said, if they receive my word, they'll receive yours. If they reject my word, well, they'll reject you, for the servant is not greater than his master. Well, they might ask me a question that I can't answer. Well, that's okay. You can just say, I don't know the answer to that. But there's nothing new under the sun, as Solomon said. There's an answer for every question people have. Or maybe you hear these glowing testimonies of people who bring people to faith in Christ and say, well, let's let the professional do it, the missionary, the evangelist, the pastor, and we sit back. And I suppose the worst reason is someone just says, I don't care. Their heart has become so cold and so calloused that they really don't care about people who have never found the forgiveness that they have found. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about forgiveness. We're talking about new life. We're talking about that when we die, we are prepared to meet God, but we are also prepared to live this life today. Now, the Scripture says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and he is committed to us. He doesn't write the gospel in the sky. He is committed to us, the word of reconciliation. To be reconciled is to be made right with God. As though God were entreating, begging, pleading through us, Paul says, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Have you ever thought about that, that Christians are called ambassadors for Christ? You represent the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And of course, the scripture affirms that there's coming a day when the Great Commission 
will be fulfilled. Jesus predicted this. He prophesied it in the Olivet Discourse, that before his second coming, during the time frame that we call the Great Tribulation, Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. After the church is caught up and raptured, God will be finished with the Gentile church, for that's largely what it is, with a small minority of Jews in our day. All the other nations are called Gentiles. God will then use 144,000 Jews in Israel to preach the gospel to the whole world. That's going to happen. It's not by accident when preachers 100 years ago preached about Israel that they were laughed at. Israel, they haven't been a nation since 70 AD. Moses said they'd be scattered to the four corners of the world. Jesus said that in Luke 21 as well. But God said at the end of time, he would gather the Jews. The first gathering is he brings them back into the land. And after the church is removed, 144,000 Jews are going to present the gospel to the entire world. And so John in Revelation 7 sees people from every nation and tribe and tongue standing before the throne of God, saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. So why is it that Christians are so silent today? Look, the fact that it is going to be one, the gospel is going to go out to the whole world, doesn't excuse our responsibility today. And so last time we spoke about how to share Christ's courageously if you're here. Today we want to speak about how to share Christ consistently. Now if you're here for the first time, I typically go through entire books of the Bible. We just finished the epistle of James, and God willing, before the fall is over, we'll begin a new Old Testament book. But right now I'm doing a special series, four messages on effective evangelism. And so this morning we're going to look at Acts 8. Let me set the context for you. There's a man by the name of Philip. He's later dubbed Philip the Evangelist. He's one of the first deacons in the church. And in the first half of the chapter 8, he's doing this fantastic revival up in this place called Samaria. But then God removes him from Samaria, has him go south to preach to one single individual. And that's where we are this morning. Acts chapter 8, if you don't have a Bible, all the Scripture will be on the screens. You can follow along. And so when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will re relate his generation, for his life is removed from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? 
And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And they came up out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So how are we going to reach our fullest potential in being consistent and sharing the gospel with people? Three simple truths. If you're here, there's an outline on the back of your bulletin. If you're online, you can print it out there online. First, you must be sensitive to the call of God. You must be sensitive to the call of God. I want you to see how Philip the evangelist was sensitive to God's call. And let me just say parenthetically that one of the roles of an evangelist like the role of a pastor teacher, is not to do all the work for God's people. Ephesians 4 says the evangelist, the pastor teacher, is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so one of the ways that they do that, among other things, is they model how to share Christ. You have to be able to say, follow me like I follow Christ. And Philip followed. He was a great model. Now, according to verse 4, they're in the capital city of Samaria. It'd be like saying New York City, New York. This is Samaria City, Samaria. And we're told in verse 25, a powerful outreach had been unfolding. And so when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So this uh, outreach that began in the city of Samaria had spread to the neighboring villages. But suddenly, unexpectedly, we're told in verse 26 that he had an encounter with an angel. Look at it. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. Here's a map. Helps you to see where we're at. Um, He's in Samaria. He goes down this desert road to Gaza out there on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. We speak of the Gaza Strip today. North of that is Azotus, and we just read after he lands in Azotus, he kept preaching the gospel all the way up to Caesarea. So he is taking a 60-mile journey from Samaria City, Samaria, all the way down to this place, Gaza. And an angel appeared to him, and this angel basically says, this is what God wants you to do. By the way, have you ever wondered why God didn't just say to the angel, you go preach the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch? Well, number one, God didn't commission angels to preach the gospel. He gave the great commission to every born-again believer. We are to preach the gospel. But number two, angels have never experienced God's grace. He's describing here an unfallen angel who had never sinned. Angels are in two major categories. The unfallen, they're called holy angels. The fallen angels are called, of course, demons in Scripture. And so God didn't say to angels, go and make disciples. But to those who have experienced grace and forgiveness, he has called us to do that. Now, as best I know, God has never had an angel speak to me. But it's possible that you've encountered an angel. The writer of the Hebrews says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Angels can come in human form and look just like a regular, ordinary Joe. There may be an angel sitting next to you this morning. You say, he looks more like a demon to me, Pastor. (laughs) Listen, you can encounter an angel and not know it. In fact, the angels are here this morning. They are observing us as we worship, 1 Corinthians 
tells us. So this angel of God, a messenger comes, and he gives them a simple command. Now, sometimes Christians say, well, why doesn't God use me more? Well, sometimes we're not usable, and we're not usable because we're not available. Remember how Philip was described in Acts 6 and verse 3? We're told he was full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. God never leaves a surrendered vessel unfilled, and God never leaves a filled vessel unused. If you're surrendered, God, anytime, anywhere, any place, if you are willing to say, God, here I am, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to say, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to give, I am totally yielded to you, then I tell you, God will use you. Now, here's Philip, sensitive to the call of God, a yielded man. And I want you to notice three aspects of the call of God on the believer's life. First, God's call is often unforeseen. Point A on your outline, it's often unforeseen. Philip had no way of knowing how God was going to use him in such a strategic sense to bring the gospel to this Ethiopian eunuch. God said through the angel, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. Here's a picture of a section of that road. Some of you have been with me to Israel, and uh, this is just one section of that desert road. Look, he's no wimp. He's a man's man. 60 miles through a hot desert region. We have too many effeminate men in the pastorate today. We need some real men who will respond to the call of God. This was no easy journey. And of course, he meets this man who had come from North Africa. Uh, North Africa, it's a long journey. He had traveled the eunuch over 200 miles to go to Jerusalem. In the providence of God, he leaves Jerusalem. Philip's up here in the north, and in God's perfect timing, they're going to cross paths. Now, again, Philip didn't know that God was going to use him in this way. He just goes because the angel of God tells him to go. That's all he understood to do, and he walked in obedience. Secondly, the will of God, God's call is often unfolded. It's unfolded. Now, by unfolded, I mean that God doesn't always reveal his will all at once. He unfolds it for us. You shouldn't be asking, well, God, what's your call and plan for my life six months from now or six years from now if you've not done today what God has shown you to do? Now, don't misunderstand me. God wants to lead you. God wants to show you his will. He's not trying to hide it. King David said this in Psalm 31.3, For you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. Likewise, uh, the Jews sang this from Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. But if you've not obeyed clearly what God has shown you to do from his word, then he can't unfold the next step. Do you remember the conflict Jesus had with the religious leaders, Pharisees and Sadducees and the Herodians in his day? He said this to them in John 7, 17. If any man is willing to do his will... He shall know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. Jesus said, any man can know my teaching, whether I am whom I say I am, if you are willing to obey God. That's a powerful, powerful statement. Now, the religious leaders to whom he was addressing, they were unrepentant rebels. They were unwilling to call their sin, sin. They thought they were good enough. They didn't really see their problem as all that bad. But if you're not willing to do God's will, God can't further unfold his will. And some want to find God like a thief wants to find a policeman. And they wonder why it is that they don't know the will of God for their life. You see, the real problem is not a lack of apologetic. 
We have a reason why we believe what we believe. We're going to look at a section of Scripture in this whole dialogue that was written 700 years before it happened. The only book with fulfilled prophecy in all of history is the Bible. There's no fulfilled prophecy in the Quran, none in the Book of Mormon, none in the Upanishads, none in the Vedas. Only the Holy Scripture has fulfilled prophecy because only God can foretell the future. So it's not a problem of apologetics. The real problem is people don't want to do God's will. They want to suppress the truth. I was dealing with a man recently, and he's been living with this woman to whom he's not married for several years, and whatever I said to him, it just fell on deaf ears. I care about him. I want to win him to the Savior. But, you know, when people don't want to do God's will, it's like, I don't know if there's a God. I don't know if the Bible's true. I don't know if Jesus is Lord. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, because they don't want to know. And so, sadly, sometimes genuine believers fall into the same snag. They're walking with God. They're obeying God as much as they know. And then all of a sudden, God unfolds from the Scripture a new aspect of obedience that they had not seen before. And they say, ooh, wait a minute. I don't know I want to do that. And they stop growing. And they wonder why God is no longer illuminating Scripture to them, why their Bible study is so dry, why they don't seem to see answered prayer. It's because they're out of the will of God. What if Philip, back in Acts 6, do you remember the first deacons are found in Acts 6, and they need seven men filled with the Spirit and of wisdom to wait on tables? What if, da- what if Philip said, that, 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 that's below me. I'm not going to wait on tables. God never would have used them in this encounter. See, we often don't get to step B because we're unwilling to obey step A. Anytime, anywhere, any place, any cost, here I am, Lord, I am available to your will. This is why Jesus said in Luke 16, 10, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous in much. So we need to be sensitive to God's call. It's unforeseen. It's unfolded. Third, God's call is often unexplained. It's often unexplained. Look, if you will, now at verse 26. Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. And what was Philip's response? So he got up and went. God said, get up and go. He got up and went. I love that. And he goes under sealed orders. He doesn't know the what of God's plan, but he knows the who. He doesn't need to know the why because he knew that this came from the loving hand of God Almighty. One of his angels was dispatched from the presence of God in heaven, and he had been given a direct order. So, it's wonderful to see what happens. Here's this man who comes to Jerusalem. He's lost. He's searching. He's looking. He's hoping for truth. Here is this yielded believer by the name of Philip, and God brings the two together. And that's the way it often works. If there's an available believer and a lost person, the Lord brings them together. I was in Lowe's some time ago. You know, I often ask people, I'll say, you know, and I'm sensitive. There's a line of people behind me. I'm not going to dialogue. You know, Who is this guy? What's his problem? You know, and I just said, hey, by the way, do you go to church anywhere? She said, no. I said, well, I'd love to invite you to the church I attend. She didn't know I was a pastor. And she said, I'm not interested. Thank you. I'm at the end register. Here's this counter. And the lady, I think she's some kind of administrator or store manager. She said, well, I'm interested. I said, hold on just a second. I'll be right with you. And I invited her. She said, my daughter and I moved here, single mom, searching. And I said, well, you should come next week. She came the next week. She came to meet the pastor. 
She received Christ as her Savior. I baptized her. She was active here for two and a half years, and then she moved to another city, and we helped her find a church there. See, that was the sovereign hand of God. God has a way of bringing people together. And so God wants to do that. He works on both ends of the spectrum. He works in the heart of the believer. He works in the heart of the unbeliever. And this is a beautiful picture of it. Philip is given the call of God to travel 60 miles south to Gaza. Here's this man leaving. But in the foreknowledge of God, this man who's leaving Jerusalem, God in his foreknowledge knows he's got a servant to whom he needs to meet. God knew about this Ethiopian eunuch. He knew the position he held. He knew that he had an unsatisfied hunger for God. He knew that he had a book of the Bible that he owned, that he had been reading and studying. He knew that he had just left Jerusalem empty, unfulfilled, not finding truth. And God unfolds the events. God says to Philip, get up and go south. So he got up and he went. I mean, this man is sensitive to the living God. He doesn't argue. He doesn't need an explanation. In fact, if he hung around, oh, I got to pray about this for a couple. He had a clear word. He didn't need to pray about it, except that God would help him as he went. He had a clear, if he had delayed, he would have missed the chariot. In fact, the timing is so close, he has to run up and catch the chariot. He's sensitive to the Lord God. Now, there will be many people today who will attend churches all across America, and they'll say it's just a waste of time. And you know what? Most of them are. They're just a total waste of time. Because some man gets up and blathers for 20 minutes. You come here, it's an hour long. Strap your seatbelt on there in the pew. <laughs> and, and, and he blathers for 20 minutes about nothing. And it's so boring and no one speaks to your heart. Why? Because they're not speaking the truth from the Word of God. Look, all the time, God is bringing people to Himself, and if we have eyes to see it, He can use us in that process in some way. I think of the Lord Jesus, who had a compulsion to go through Samaria. He didn't go up along the Jordan River. He didn't go up along the coastline. He went through Samaria, something a Jew never did, because He knew there was a woman there, and of course, that woman goes back and God brings a whole town to Christ. And then Jesus says to his disciples, I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Very often when I'm privileged to introduce someone to Christ, I'm just entering into someone else's labor. Maybe a grandmother, maybe a mother, maybe a brother, sister has been praying for them. Oh, Lord, they need Christ. They don't see their need. Show them, open their eyes. Maybe someone else had shared with them 10 times ever before I got to them. And you enter into someone else's labor. John the Baptist had been in this area plowing the soil. These people were ripe to hear the gospel. So verse 27, he got up and went, and behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, or Candace as the Brits would say. Candace is not her name. That's a title like Pharaoh or Caesar. She's queen of the Ethiopians, who was in the, and the eunuch was in charge of all her treasure, and he'd come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, eunuchs, of course, were altered men. They usually were over a king's harem. But very often, if they were faithful, they rose to positions of power. And this man, under modern terms, was the secretary of the treasury. Now, we know he's not a Gentile because Acts 10 tells us the first Gentiles to come to faith is Cornelius, or Cornelius if you prefer, in his household. Um, if he was emasculated and castrated both as a eunuch, then at best he was a God-fearer. 
Uh, if he had only been castrated, then he could have been circumcised, and under the New Testament, he was called a proselyte. He could have been a direct descendant of Solomon. Solomon had married a number of women under the Old Covenant. He wouldn't be considered a believer today, but under the hardness of heart, under the Old Covenant, God allowed certain things, never endorsed them, but allowed it. And of course, uh, during uh, some years ago, there was a huge exodus from Ethiopia, black African Jews. They had descended from Solomon, and the Israeli government, they had like three hours. The Ethiopian government says, you have three hours. And there was this massive exodus, and they airlifted 13,000 Ethiopian Jews into Israel. So whoever this man was, we know he was not a Gentile. We know he had traveled some 200 miles. We know he went to Jerusalem to worship. We know he left empty like millions of Americans will today. They'll go to different types and stripes of churches where the gospel is not preached, the Bible is not opened. Verse 28, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. He was reading out loud because that's very often what people do in this part of the world. If you've been to the Western Wall with me, You'll see Jewish people praying out loud or reading the scriptures out loud. Why? Because they want to give their full concentration to what they are saying or to what they're praying. They're not trying to practice their righteousness before men. They're, they, they just take the scripture seriously. And he's reading the prophet Isaiah, and he's reading the Septuagint. As you know, most Jews read Hebrew, but there came a time when they lost their ability to read Hebrew because of the deportation. And so they read their Bible in Greek. And so you see Philip quoting the Greek translation here of the Old Testament, or Luke uh, recording it for us, what this man is reading. So he's a eunuch. He's educated, educated enough such that he can read Greek. A lot of people were illiterate. Uh, he's in an executive position uh, that allowed him to travel to Jerusalem. He's wealthy. He bought a scroll. You know how expensive a scroll was? Very few people owned a personal scroll unless you were extremely wealthy. But it was important to this man. Maybe he had met a rabbi in, in Jerusalem, and the rabbi says, I know you're a eunuch, and I know there are some restrictions based on you, based on Deuteronomy 23, but hey, look, there's a really positive future for eunuchs, and there's this prophet by the name of Isaiah who speaks about it. You can go home and read Isaiah 56 if you're interested. And we'll see in just a minute that under the providence of God, he's going to be in a section of Isaiah. Isaiah is no small scroll. It's a section of Isaiah that preaches the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Again, verse 29, then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. He's sensitive to the Spirit of God. Remember, he had never asked why he should get on this desert road. Now it's apparent why he should go there. Go up and join this chariot. God's Spirit doesn't say, do you feel comfortable knocking on chariot doors? He didn't ask, are, are you capable of rubbing shoulders with the political elite? Um, do you like confrontational evangelism versus lifestyle evangelism? Um, do you have a spiritual gift in this area or not? Do you have a gift to reach Ethiopians? Just go speak to them. And Philip simply says in his heart, yes, sir. Go up and join this chariot. Join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Carl's sermon, Sharing Christ Consistently. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures 
at 877-787-7478 and requesting program Sharing Christ Consistently 021. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you would like to help sustain this ministry, click the Give button on our app or at searchthescriptures.org. Join us tomorrow as we continue to search the Scriptures.